0: The following audio is from All Saints Church. For more information about the church, please visit our website at allsaintsgb.org. Our New Testament reading this morning comes to us from Acts chapter 6. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers and sisters, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen a man full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests And will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that Stephen's face was like the face of an angel. God, we thank you for your word. I'm often amazed at what can distract and divide the body of Christ. The church. This week, I read a story about a large megachurch in Dallas that was split in half. And the fight between the two factions of this large church had grown into a custody battle for the church building. Who was going to have the rights to the location of this church? And the case had been taken to civil court and then transferred over to the denominations court and given lots of public attention. What was interesting as the investigation unfolded is how the faction started. It was discovered that the division over location actually started because of a distribution of lunch. One of the prominent elders of the church had been served a smaller piece of ham at a church meal than the child seated next to him. That's what started this all. A lunch line became a location war. How can this happen? How can this happen? Well, Acts chapter 6 is showing us how this can happen and how it can be helped. Acts chapter 6 can be divided into two portions. The first half of the passage is a dispute over lunch. And the second half of the passage is a war over location. But some backstory on where we've been before we unpack where we are. Where we've been. The book of Acts begins with a promise in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 from a resurrected Jesus. And he says to the disciples, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Samaria, in Judea, and to the ends of the earth. You will be my witnesses. The witness of what Jesus has done. Die for sinners, conquer death through resurrection, and then ascend to take his place as head, as heaven and earth's king. And his body, the church on earth, would remain here to spread with Holy Spirit fire the word of his work. The witness of his work, starting in Jerusalem, to the city of Samaria, to the region of Judea, and to the ends of the earth. Do you notice how we pray at All Saints each month? The first week of the month, we pray for our community, or us as a people. Then we pray for our community. Then we pray for our nation. Then we pray for our world. It's the pattern that we see in the book of Acts. And it's the call of the church to go out. You will be my witnesses, Jesus says. My martyrs. You will be my martyrs. Interesting word choice Jesus uses to describe how the church is going to grow. A martyr in Greek does mean a witness or a testifier. But over the course of 2,000 years, what do we think of when we hear the word martyr? Someone who's not only given witness about Jesus but who's also died as a result of their faith in Jesus. The body of Christ lives on as the witnesses of Christ are killed off. This is the continual gospel tension we find in the book of Acts. Kingdom comes through sacrifice, through a cross, and kingdom continues through further losses, through more martyrs on crosses, kingdom continues to grow. The church we discussed last week is the continued sign of the cross. You want to see the church in word and deed in the world? Well, then hear us talk about Christ's sacrifice and see us living as living sacrifices. We are the sign of the cross in the world. The kingdom grows through sacrifice. And I'll put it this way today. Kingdom gains, kingdom growth, kingdom blessing, kingdom gains come through labor's pain. Kingdom gains come through labor's pain. Friends, it aches God when labor's pain and loving sacrifice is not what's off the lips of those who want church growth. When growing the kingdom means having a dynamic, motivational preacher. When kingdom growth means uh, having a six-figure sound system. When it means the smoke machine's optional, but big deal. Big sound system, big stage, big lights. Big media, big musical influences that are marketable for sure, that are sellable on iTunes, yes. Yes. Kingdom growth comes through emotional manipulation to pull people in and and then this manly machismo to keep people from leaving. That's what it's become. I remember exiting the doors of a church that held to this church growth mentality and hearing someone play a mind game on my kids as we were walking out the door. They said to them, if you bring your Bible next week, you'll get candy. And I said, run to the car, kids. Run to the car. (laughs) <laughs> oh but oh how it pleases the father to see his people following in the path and the posture of his son through sacrifice peter and john in acts have been in prison twice now for preaching aloud the name of jesus and for healing a leper in the name of jesus they've been beaten bloody by the religious leaders By those who believe in power grabs and power plays and Peter and John. They rejoice that they're counted worthy to be a sufferer for their Savior who suffered for them. Kingdom gains are coming through labor's pain. And the more we believe this to be true saints, the more that we live this way saints, the kingdom gains will come. But they will come through our labor's pain. So what gets us through that labor's pain? I've never gone through labor pain, so I have to be very careful. (laughs) What gets us through these labor's pain? This labor's pain. The grace and the power of God must be what carries us through. How does the grace and power of God carry us through these labor's pain? Let's look at the two parts of Acts chapter 6 to see. The first part, this dispute over lunch, we see the grace and power of God delegated. And in the second part, in this war over location, we see the grace and power of God relocated. Delegation and relocation. Delegation and relocation. First, see the grace and power of God delegated in verses 1 to 7. The number of those hearing the word of God and following Jesus continues to grow in Jerusalem. And as it grows in number, so too it grows in diversity. Hellenists, you see in that passage, Hellenists are Greek-speaking Jews. They're the minority in number. Okay, if you think about it in our culture, it's like Hispanic culture in the United States or in Green Bay. They don't speak the language or they don't speak it as well. That's the Hellenists. And then the Hebrews, those are the Aramaic, the English-speaking Jews, if you will, like the ones who speak the language. They're the majority. They're the natives. And with each of their places in culture, so too came their politics between the Hellenists and the Aramaics, the Hebrews. The Hellenists might be considered more the liberals. More of those who are considered in fairness and equality among the people. The Hebrews might be considered more the conservatives. The ones who got where they are without handouts. But with hard work and determination. And so what's happening in the church in this war between liberals and conservatives is no surprise. Widows are of great concern to the Lord in this age because widows in the age of Jesus were so vulnerable. They have little to no source of income or status because they've lost their husbands. And so as the Spirit is working in the church to show the Trinity God, to show the unity of God and taking care of everyone equally with shared possessions... The spirit of Satan is working to chip away the church with disunity and distraction. Verse 1 says, A grumbling arises because the Greek widows are being sent to the back of the line of the lunch line and giving leftover scraps, if anything. As a pastor, and we have a fourth Sunday feast. I'm not a a victim here, but I want to tell you, oftentimes as a pastor, I'm the last person in line on a fourth Sunday feast, and there's nothing more discouraging than walking up to empty crockpots and just sort of scraping what might be left that's kind of burned on the crockpot onto my plate. (laughs) And that's what's going on here for these widows. They are being treated as third or fourth class citizens. So the twelve, the apostles, they're called the twelve here. Instead of seeing themselves as saviors and ministry superheroes, I'll preach the word and then I'm going to serve the supper. No, that's not what they do. They delegate the grace and power of God to the men and women of the church. And they say, church, men and women, offer nominations to form a commission to do and deal with this duty of how do we reconcile and make right what's wrong here. Notice the qualifications in verse three, which were required for this commission, for this position. Men of good reputation, meaning both the church and the watching world see the grace and the power of God displayed in that man. And friends, yes, there are men delegated to the position, but it's not just a boys' club. We're just other guys are tapping other guys to do this. No, these men are found of good reputation not only among the brothers but also the sisters in the church. They are bringing forth, the women are bringing forth their nomination like, I trust that guy to serve these widows. It's not just the men. The women are involved to cast their vote as well. And these men are full of the Spirit, it says, meaning they've demonstrated the power of God in the fruit of their lives. These men are loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, good, gentle, self-controlled men. And these men are also full of wisdom. The grace of God has been given to them to fear God and his word first and to follow him second. These men know their abilities to understand and discern things, not because of their education or their status or their personality, but because God was the one who graced them with wisdom. What a testimony to a trust in the grace and power of God that the 12 elders of this new church, are not just gripping on to control, but are instead doing the choosing, letting the work happen through God doing the work by delegating it to these guys. Can you imagine, friends, if political elections were based on grace and power, where the ads that you see, instead of smearing and slamming the other person's character what if the ads really just consisted of testimonies from people to say, I think we need to vote for this guy because he's been patient, loving, kind. Because he's a really wise guy and he thinks he seems to really know his stuff. What if the ads were about that instead? About their character and their capabilities. All Saints is coming upon its fifth anniversary on April 1. Five years old on April 1st. And over the course of the five years, I have had the privilege of seeing so many kingdom gains while at the same time feeling the labor's pain. I love, one of the things I absolutely love, I love sitting in a servant's ministry meeting. We've got Several people who are gifted with administration and figuring out logistics and details of things. And I love sitting back in that meeting and watching people do what I'm not good at, just to get into the nitty gritty and come up with ideas how to do hospitality better. And I just sit back and I marvel and I wonder and I love it. I don't like sitting on a meeting where what's clear is that people might be feeling neglected and less valued or mistreated in the church like there's a ranking among the saints. I don't enjoy the pain of those conversations. We have elder nominations, as has been mentioned, coming up over the next couple of weeks, or open for the next couple of weeks, to ask the Lord, through the membership of our men and women, to nominate to the table more men to serve as elders within this community. So far, we have zero nominations. What do we do? With this, in light of the growing pains of a five-year-old church, I'm not concerned. We wait upon the grace and the power of God to form and fill men for this role. That's what we do, even if it's not this year. As your pastor, I must make it my duty, I'm confessing to you, my duty and my responsibility to be less and less concerned about the fourth Sunday feast details. And more and more concerned that y'all are feasting on Christ and his word. I have to do more of that and less of details. That's why we have Rebecca here. That's why we have a servants ministry team here. It doesn't make my role more important or valuable than their role. There's a grace and a power in both word and deed ministries. Just look at the qualifications for table ministry that are in Acts 6. The calls are different in function. But they're the same in value, like the Trinity. The Father is the willmaker, the Son is the executor of the will, and the Spirit is the power to carry out the will. When everyone has their role, everyone's doing what they're called to do, look what happens in the church, verse 7 says. The word of God continues to increase and the number of disciples multiply. Even priests, even pastors are coming to faith in Christ as a result of everyone doing what they're called to do. I want to take a moment to allow you right now to just prayerfully marinate on a few questions in applying this text to your own life. Let's just take a moment to pray and ask these questions of the Lord. Father, how have you particularly made me to serve and function in the life of this church body? How have you uniquely made me to serve and function in the life of this church body? Lord, what are the gifts? and the talents that you've graced and empowered me with to serve others, not myself. What are these gifts, Lord, that you've given me? What are the talents that you've given me? How do I see you using them? And in what ways, Lord, am I withholding them? How am I holding back and why? Lastly, Lord, where do you see these gifts and grace? Where do I see, Lord, these gifts and grace in someone else in our church? Lord, where do I see gifts that are not being fully utilized? And how might I encourage the people around me to use the gifts that they've been given by you to serve this body? Help me, Father, to speak and to encourage so that this church might continue to operate more and more the way in which your Trinity operates. Do that work, Lord. Amen. So we see the grace and power of God delegated, and I'll, I'll go faster on the second point. We see the grace and power of God in the second part as there's a war over location relocated. Delegation, relocation. So Stephen, one of the commission members, is by the grace and power of God Acts says, doing great wonders and signs. We have to assume then, friends, that this means they're seeing in Stephen him do some things that the apostles were doing. What were those things? He's healing people. Stephen is healing people and he's probably powerfully preaching to people. There's signs and wonders going on, and signs and wonders that are going on through Stephen were going on in the Old Testament, and what do those signs and wonders point to? This is a prophet. This is one of God's spokespeople. And the Lord's grace and power is positioning Stephen to be a nuclear reactor that will relocate the body of Christ beyond the walls of Jerusalem. Jerusalem. How he's starting to do this? How's the Lord starting to do this? Through Stephen's controversial preaching. We have to do a little work in the passage to see the controversy, to see what his preaching is doing. So first question is, who is all upset about Stephen's preaching? Who's all mad? The freedmen we see, the Cyrenians, the Alexandrians, those from Cilicia and Asia. What's the deal with all of these people? What do they have in common? They're out-of-towners. These are minority Jews who have been historically the victims of slavery and mistreatment. And they've now relocated to Jerusalem to set up synagogues to try and gain some political and social standing in Jerusalem. They've been working hard to make a name for themselves and for their churches in this city of power, Jerusalem. So they keep God's law to the nth degree in this synagogue location. So they're hoping to step up their status in Jerusalem. So what's going on with Stephen's preaching that's stirring these out-of-towners up? He's preaching this. The temple and the law are no longer external places. Because of the work of Jesus, the temple and the law has been relocated. To an internal place. It's no longer this big temple in Jerusalem anymore. No longer even your synagogues anymore. Where is God located and where is His law found? It's found in the hearts of people. The temple is no longer necessary to have a relationship with the living God. Jesus tore the curtain so that the Spirit could live in the hearts of people. Not just in this little room called the Holy of Holies. And law-keeping is now not a means by which to earn God's favor or smile. It never was. Jesus kept the law fully and put that perfect law-keeping status in the hearts of his people so that when we obey even, it's not us obeying, but Christ's spirit in us obeying God's word. It's all happening internally now, not externally. It would be akin to someone announcing, friends, I don't know if you've heard, but Lambeau Field, the big G temple across the river, is going bye-bye. It's relocating somewhere else. What would happen to people in Green Bay who are gaining power and prestige as a result of the Packers being in this community? They would feel threatened, right? They would do whatever they could to make sure it's not so. We need to stay Titletown. They would feel that threat and do whatever it takes, like I said. And friends, it's actually happening in Milwaukee, right? As there's talks that the brewers may leave town. And guess what formed? A home crew coalition. Business owners joining together to make sure the brew crew stays put. That's what Stephen is saying. No more outside locations. It's all happening inside. We see further evidence of their concern in verses 13 to 14. As they say, Stephen keeps speaking words against this holy place, the temple, and the law. He keeps speaking against the law and saying that Jesus will destroy this place and change the customs of Moses, who was the giver of the law. You see how angry they're getting at the threat of losing their temple status. An adage that you will probably hear me repeat as a pastor counsel over and over again. I'm sure you're so sick of hearing this. When an idol in your heart is getting threatened, what are you going to look for? Strong emotion. When an idol gets threatened, look for strong emotion. And they've got it here. They've managed to cheat and lie and get Stephen arrested and standing before the temple courtroom and the council. And as they stare at him, as the council stares at him, Before he gives any defense, what do they see as they look and lock eyes with him? They see relocation. The relocation that Stephen's been preaching shines now directly on his face. His face was like the face of an angel. That's heaven standing right in front of us. Because of the work of Jesus Christ in tearing the veil between heaven and earth as he died upon a cross, heaven is now relocated into hearts and into people. The Lord has blessed God's people and now made his face to shine upon them. That's what they're seeing in front of them. Heaven. Don't believe for one second that you'll only find Jesus in a mega, multi-million, multi-site church. Don't believe for one second that you'll only find Jesus in your being a good boy or girl. Don't believe for one second that you'll only find Jesus when your world is all put together, neat and tidy, and suffering free. No, no. The presence of God has relocated to dwell in the hearts of individuals. And not just individuals, but sinful individuals who admit they can't keep the law. Sinful individuals whose worlds were far from put together, but were falling apart at the seams with no hope for repair, but to plead the promise of Jesus to forgive, to restore, to bring rest, and to relocate his heavenly home into our hearts, better than any temporary home we could make for ourselves. Kingdom gains come through labor's pain. So the grace and power of God must be what carries us. This grace and power of God that is delegated to every saint, all of us playing a part in this mission and this work as witnesses. And the grace and power that's been relocated from a temple way out in Jerusalem to every heart who believes Jesus was the relocated delegate. Jesus relocated himself from heaven and came to earth to save sinners. Jesus became the delegate to represent a sinner on the cross. And Jesus became the delegate to raise dead sinners from the grave So that we could be relocated from a grave of death to life forever. From slaves on earth to free children of heaven. Jesus, King Jesus, is our only delegate between a guilty soul and a holy God. And Jesus put the down payment of his home in heaven, the Holy Spirit, in us. Let's pray that Christ would continue to be at work in bringing about his kingdom gains through these labors pain as he delegates us to serve him and he reminds us of the relocation of heaven now within us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your work. Thank you for the help that you give us from your spirit. We pray that we would be good delegates of your grace. That we would recognize that we are little Jesus on earth. Why and how? Because we have your spirit in us. We bring Jesus to the world because Jesus' spirit lives in us. We pray that you would help us to be Delegates who represent Christ well through sacrifice. Through serving others, not serving ourselves. And we pray, Father, that the world would then see the relocation of heaven to earth on our faces. And in our love. And in our witness. Even if it costs us our very lives. Help us live as living sacrifices. Now and through the end of our lives. Pray this in Christ's glorious and holy name. Amen.